Welcome to Corporate Lunch, episode 24. We are going to be chewing up the media today. Noah, we are, are you ready to chew through some magazine media nom, today? Nom, 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 this nom, is the, <laughs> This is a current events, the occasional current events episode of Corporate Lunch. I think we're going to touch on a bunch of uh, highly relevant topics. I think we should hit on Ricardo Tichy at Burberry. Don't you think? Yeah, it's crucial. Tad Friends, Donald Glover, New Yorker profile. What about Julian Casablanca's in the New York Magazine? David Marchese, absolutely. There's, I think we need to really get into what David Marchese's doing with his Q&As at New York Magazine. We got to get... The pe- New York Times Magazine music uh, issue. Oh, yeah. Ryan McGinley photographs. Important edition of that weekly magazine. This is all the news you need right here. All the all the news that's fit to talk about on corporate lunch. That's right. Uh, cop the new issue of GQ Style. Let's get into it. I think we should start, corporate lunch being corporate lunch, we got to start with Ricardo Tichy going to Burberry. The best thing about this, that the, just the thing that jumps to mind immediately is like, thank God the, like, the, the lord of fashion parties is back. I hope he just brings, I think we talked about this once before, but like there was a, when he was in his prime at Givenchy and, you know, Kanye was wearing the leather kilt and all that. Like, Scary house music. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it feels like so far from now in terms of aesthetic because things move very quickly. But I mean, Tishi was just a legendary partier and he built a culture and a, a tribe around him that was like sexy as hell and a lot of fun to follow. And that's, Maybe even missing a little bit. Yeah, from- it was like the most beautiful men and women in the world dressed like from, you know, an awesome Tim Burton nightmare. Yeah. With like with like European witch house playing <laughs> and just like, you know. And it was, you know, that that this was before this, Sex, Drugs and Fashion Baby. It it was not um it wasn't the the moment for like the amateur to be in the spotlight. You know, like it's a little bit pre- the influencer being able to sort of be on top and pre, you know, amateur design designers and DJs being able to play in various spaces like this was elite. This was only the sexiest and the sort of, you know, the people who had been admitted into the highest echelon. This is like th- this shit was happening at Maisons with views of the Eiffel, Eiffel Tower. So I got to say I would know I was there. <laughs> I would know. I was there. We, there was a view of the Eiffel Tower. The Martinez brothers were DJing. Madonna was there. Courtney Love was there. It was witchy. Now, what's funny is that all of the things that we just said, especially all of the adjectives, none of them apply traditionally to Burberry. Not really. So, you know what I think? <laughs> you know what I think was like a really amazing tone setter for Ricardo Tichy's Burberry. Mm-hmm. Did you see the? <laughs> did you see his official publicity photo? Yeah, it was really weird. <laughs> Ricardo Tichy's a very handsome man. This was shot like up his nose. Yeah. His head looked like looks like slightly wonkily deformed. It's some sort of like fisheye angle. The, like I don't can't tell if it's an angle or if weird. there's a fisheye lens, but his head is like moving in strange ways, but not in like enough of a way that you can tell it's intentional. And I'm just like, oh man, the Dark Lord takes on it's, the House of Plaid. It's ominous. here we go. He 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 like credited the artist who did that portrait, and I think was like made clear to. He, I think he referred to it as like piece of art, or he called it something other than something like uh, you know vaguely pretentious. <laughs> yeah, uh, it could get interesting. It could get weird. I mean, I'm highly skeptical. It makes me really wonder. Like, is there any like when you're a company of that size and you're looking for creative direction to ignite uh, consumers in a totally new way? How much do you really consider like 
brand tradition and aesthetic and stuff. Well, like I that. thought it was interesting that in the press release, uh, the Burberry, in the official Burberry press release, they kind of like went out of their way to say he went to Central St. Martin's. Yeah. Uh, as because that's like his tie to London. Make that connection. Yeah, to make the London connection. How dope would it be if if he just like takes all the scarves and trench coat linings and just like dip dyes them black and then is like, no, there's a plaid under there. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, it's been dyed black. No, trust me, that's the that's the heritage plaid. If you adjust the contrast levels to the max, you'll see a plaid. Some yeah, trust eventually. me. Yeah. Um, and it is kind of like you know we're going from um, Christopher Bailey who. The the apparently the Burberry rainbow scarf is sold out worldwide. Wow, I wish I got one. That Leave, shit was so cool. Leaving on leaving on a high note. Such a simple idea. Like let's just inject some stripes of color into this classic plaid, and it just looked amazing. Totally, I and and have coolest. it be like you know a political statement. Yeah. Um, and now in but you know here comes the Dark Lord. I'm excited. I have to say. I think that Christopher Bailey went out on an extremely high note. I was thinking about it, and I was like. This is like this reflects poorly on me probably, but I was like, damn, would it be weird to go out and cop something from someone's last collection? Like it feels like <laughs> not that it was by any means a failure. Obviously it was a commercial success. Yeah. But I was just like, how do you how do you view like a final collection from someone before like the new thing comes in? I think it's I, Is it more like hold out till the new thing begins because nah, nah, this nah, thing nah, is nah, passing nah, nah, or is nah, that's nah, the nah, one nah. to jump on? No, nah, it's like get a piece. I think that yeah. was that was that was definitely happening for Eddie's last collection of Saint Laurent. It was like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, gotta get you a piece. You don't know he's gonna be back. Yeah. And then the 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 bur- the rainbow stripe Burberry stuff was just like, kind of like, instant icon. Crazy. It's yeah. too bad he didn't have more time to spend with that. Yeah, or it's dope that he more just better. like you know, flew the rainbow flag and dipped to the English countryside forever. <laughs> I'm into it. He's going to take over at Givenchy. Now, we're going to get into some, we're going to chew through some media this episode. Yeah. Um, I would, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin, dude. There's a lot of funny stuff. Should we go Julian Casablancas or yeah. should we go Donald Glover? Julian Casablancas. All right, let's get into Julian's. Um, so, so there was a David Marchese. David Marchese's been on fire. He's with been these, on a tear. These New York Magazine Q&As. He, I, from he did one with Trent Reznor like a year ago that was incredible, and I started paying a lot more attention to his Q and A's. And then of course he did the Quincy Jones interview. And before Quincy, he had the incredible, very up my alley, Erica Badu piece. So with Julian, he goes and like this is, Will Julian is a little bit on your. He's like a, he's an icon in your opinion. I would say J- Julian Casablancas is like my George Washington. <laughs> <laughs> he's like my George Washington and my Abraham Lincoln. He's on Mount Rushmore, like for sure. For he's sure. all four faces on on, <laughs> my, on my Mount Rushmore. Like, uh, I have a I have a, a poster of the Strokes, and I've replaced all their heads with Julian's heads. So he like phrases of the young. Have you heard his solo album, Phrases of the Young? I, I have not. I'm, this is that like bangs. A, a have blind. you heard the first Voids album? Nope. Yeah, it it's almost like Ricardo Tichy esque. I've heard the Strokes. You've heard the Strokes. Yeah, well. I know the obvious stuff. I mean, the Strokes were huge. Julian, once again. And everyone dressed hard, like them. Very hard for me to stomach the um, Julian not doing himself any favors in the press, despite being a complete legend. So uh, maybe this is familiar to you as someone who follows his career a little bit more closely, but he basically comes out swinging with his, his line is kind of like, music has been co-opted. This is a quote from him. Music has been co-opted by some kind of capitalist profit game. So he's, <laughs> he just starts, he just goes in on, he's like sort of apologize. He's like, you know, you probably want to be talking about the music, but this is what I'm thinking about yeah. right now. 
And um, one quote, another quote that sort of sums it up, he says, there are formulas to make the most amount of money out of music, and those formulas don't incorporate the variable for quality. Artistic value and truth value are casualties of the process. I mean... He's not wrong to yeah. some extent. Get out the chisel, Noah. <laughs> Let's change your Mount Rushmore, man. The dude is speaking truth to power, at least in New York Magazine. Um, and you know, you got to think a lot about that. You know, like we do. I think that the this interview reads to me like um, a a guy who studied really hard for a test that he had actually asked to to take. Yeah. So it's like you 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 request a test from the teacher because you want to flex your knowledge. You study super hard. You get it all together, and then you wake up that morning, and like, you know, you just you just kind of get up on on the wrong side of the bed, and you go in, and all this stuff that you've been cramming into your head yeah. just gets completely jumbled. Yeah, and uh, you go in to write your essay, and you're just like you're basically upside down, and um, that's kind of how that's kind of how Casablancas came in. Like he <laughs> he has been reading a lot. Yeah, apparently there are links. <laughs> There, there, there are like Infowars links on the Void's website. It uh, says, "Oh, really? Something like that." Not Infowars. What is it? The left. Yeah. What's the, the left? left what's the lefty Infowars? Yeah. Well, I think that like you know we can all basically relate. he wants us all to listen to Ariel Pink. I know. Yeah. Instead of Ed Sheeran, he's like really specifically trying to make this claim that like in a just world where truth and quality are valued the way they ought to be, Ariel, Ariel Pink, Pink is, would be the biggest star in the world and dating Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Ariel Pink and Ta if Ariel Pink doesn't get to date Taylor Swift, the corporations are evil. And then it, but the, there's a, the, one of the zaniest things about it is he starts to draw this connection between the human suffering and 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 like truth failures that occur as a result of like corporate interests are related to like quality in art. Yeah, which they are they somewhere are, to for some sure. extent, but it it starts to feel tenuous at times. I think the the way he's making these connections. I, I would like to re-title, re I would like to re-headline David Marchese's New York Magazine piece. Um, Julian Casablanca is, is not wrong, but... <laughs> and then there's an ellipse. Because, like, you know, he's not wrong. He's just having a really tough time lassoing his point. I appreciate it. And I also think he does... There are times in the interview where he sort of reels it in and sort of says, you know, yeah. I'm not, he pulls I'm it not being super clear right now. I know that. Yeah. But... That's kind of how thinking and feeling works a little bit. And Doesn't like, he also tell Marchese that he's basically been like brainwashed and he's accepted the? He tells Marchese that he's he's yeah that he's been brainwashed by pop culture and he's he's accepted the cultural norms. Yeah, Marchese, incredibly smart interviewer, like yeah. incredibly knowledgeable. They do a little bit of sparring on like questions of like how famous was Jimi Hendrix in his prime and Marchese definitely handles it uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, quite well. There's some incredible exchanges. You got to read it, but. Um, yeah, Casablanca definitely comes at him with some like you know you've been corp brainwashed by the man essentially into thinking that. And Marchese's like, no, d dude, if you want to walk down that path on this hike, let's go down yeah, that path, yeah. and then he does encourage internet it in a, in internet a hilarity ensues. Can we talk a little bit about the uh, Tad friend Donald Glover profile in yeah. the New Yorker? Have you read this joint? Haven't gotten to it. Haven't gotten <laughs> to it. Well. You didn't do your corporate lunch homework, but guess what? I did it for you. Thank you. Uh, I'm just gonna read a little bit of it. This is gonna be story time. We're we're kind of we're kind of experimenting with uh, with uh, books on tape. The reading series. Yeah. Uh, Tad friend asked Donald, "Do you look up to anyone? I don't see anyone out there who's better." He said. 
maybe Elon Musk. But I don't know yet. <laughs> but I don't know yet if he's a supervillain. Elon is working on ways for storytelling not to be the best way of spreading information. Musk's new company, Neuralink, intends to merge human consciousness with computers, allowing us to download others' thoughts. This is back to Glover. It will turn us into a connected macro-organism, but it will make our individual desires seem trivial. Glover went on. Sometimes I get mad at him. You think people are insignificant, but we are probably... We probably are at the end of the storytelling age. It's my job to compress the last bits of information for people before it passes. He sighed. The thing I imagine myself being in the future doesn't exist yet. I wish it was just, oh, I'll be Oprah, or I'll be Dave Chappelle. But it's not that. It's something different and more. Something involving fairness and restoring a sense of honor. Sometimes I dream of it, but how do you explain a dream where you never see your father, but you know that's him over your shoulder? <laughs> it was very quiet. It'd be nice to feel less lonely. Wow. So. What's going on with these guys? I feel like it's Donald Glover in a nutshell, that, that graph. He really, t Donald Glover and Tad Friend really take this profile out for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. I couldn't suggest it enough. Did you, did you watch season, episode one of the new uh, season of Atlanta? No, but I crushed the first season. I've been, I've been and holding off on it. I've been holding off on it. Donald Glover seems like a, uh, a character who we just don't know where he's going to take us yet. But what's interesting about this profile is it kind of makes it feel like Donald Glover. You know how Kanye famously said, I am the nucleus? Yeah. In that John Caramonica piece a while ago. Th this, the, the, this piece kind of makes you feel like Donald Glover's the nucleus, but then you occasionally like wake up while reading it and yeah. are like, wait, no, the, the guy that made Atlanta? The guy that made Atlanta is like super dope. Super, like, super dope. As dope as it gets. But maybe not the nucleus? Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. It could be a self-fulfilling prophecy. It does seem like Donald Glover has kind of like a Drake-like yeah. ability to summon his uh, his I, hopes and wishes into reality. That reads to me so much colder than I think of him being, you know? Like, it doesn't have the sort of, like, warmth oh, no, it's personalness dark. that he, that, like, I think of even... Atlanta is has dark moments, but it ultimately feels like a warm sort of bonding human story. The the this profile does not make hanging out with Donald Glover feel like a warm experience. In fact, there's a really amazing moment where Donald Glover's music manager is talking to Tad Friend, and he's like, "The thing about Donald is you basically start over with him every time you see him." Yeah, because Tad Friend is like struggling with the fact that like. He he rings Donald Glover's doorbell in Atlanta. Donald opens the door and looks at him. You know, he's clearly been, you know how New Yorker profiles are. He yeah. spent like nine months with yeah, the dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like seven months into it. And Donald Glover opens the door and just kind of looks at him like, do I know you? <laughs> um, do you think this is a celebrity who is rapidly on the rise, is in super high demand, and is just dealing with how, like, a, mo a new, what's the modern way to be famous and to handle it and to present yourself in yeah. an age when, like, the whole thing has been turned upside down and it will, no matter what, be be turned on you. Whatever you do will be turned on you and used against you somehow. Yeah, like by two shitty dudes with a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. And I also think Donald Glover is, like, definitely, like, like um, deep into his own mind garden yeah. like he's 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 yeah. out he's out for like a slow slow meander yeah. through the mind garden right now but he's also focused on actually making stuff so he's he's working on like people are on his dick pretty hard that's 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 not my own language that's part of the the theme of this piece yep. and he's trying to figure out how to like make space and how to 
what it means to be so lonely like yeah in 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 a crowd of people who are all like trying to get stuff from you but again this is a show on fx he's not like yet the (laughs) the nucleus of culture now i don't doubt that he could become that i really don't yeah yeah i I really i really think he could get there but like you know this seems more like a transitional moment than like a peak moment or something like that yes yes uh in what in what formats have you experienced the new york times um special music issue i scrolled through the digital version uh and enjoyed very much the cool experience of the song streaming as you go yeah and i read several of like the shorter blurbs and just kind of like looked at looked at who was in the mix right yeah the covers are gucci i saw the gucci cover scoochie he's got a legendary someone tweeted or said something about he has just an amazing streak of massively smiley magazine covers going now too Dude, if you spent that much money getting your teeth to look that awesome, he's got amazing teeth. You would also be just be out here absolutely. smiling. Yeah, absolutely. And if you'd gotten sober and married and you know, positive, floating on the pink cloud, yeah, uh, you might be smiling too. Uh, it's Who else? it's Gucci Mane, SZA, SZA, Cardi, yeah. and King Cruel. That's a crew right there. A they pr- should form a super group. Though, that would be a, actually a really good super group. Yeah. Um, I have one thought about Gucci Mane. Okay. I don't know that he's really at his peak artistically. Yeah. He's at his peak in terms of media presence. Yeah. And I'm sure that's partly because he's like sober and awesome and nice yeah. and like and and happy. Irresistible personality. And more than happy to like show up to a cover shoot and smile. Yeah. Where there was a time where it was drugs and darkness and yeah. raps and, yeah. and like uh, a lot of jail time. Yeah, he was a little a, overweight. He was a hard guy to get to. He was big. Yeah, he yeah. had the tattoo on his face. The ice cream tattoo seems to have disappeared from Gucci Mane's face. Did they faded away or something. Yeah, you maybe it was. Really... It was. It was always uh, semi permanent. I don't know. I don't really know what happened there. <laughs> uh, photos are are uh, Ryan McGinley, yeah. the homie, yeah, friend of the pod, and I agree with you that the format of this thing digitally. It kind of soars digitally. Yeah. And the fact that you, as you scroll, you get to hear all the music. Uh, the homie Jason Isbell uh, yeah. makes an appearance uh, wearing the purple Andre 3000 tree torns. Oh, wow. I didn't even In notice piece. that. Out yep. there. Look at the connect, yep. look at the dots connecting. Yep. The GQ style universe all just sort of. Bringing it home. Mingling. Oh, there's also uh, a couple mentions of George Saunders in the Isbell piece. Look at this. So shout out to the GQ style. Another friend of the pod. Conversation between George Saunders and Jason Isbell. Yeah. Um, I find the, I find the, uh, the Times Magazine thing, I mean, it's definitely like ch- songs selected by a bunch of writers who are, like have something to say about the culture. Yeah. It doesn't like bear much resemblance to my actual playlist. Yeah. Right. It's media doing media things, yep. which I have mixed feelings about, but I'm ultimately I'm on board for. I sat and read pretty much the whole thing mm-hmm. in the print version at the coffee shop this weekend. How did it go in the print version, like versus what that digital experience is like? Like, do you do you hold the print version and read it and feel like this is a little bit flat and like? No, no, I thought it it looked super cool and it, it was good. it was really satisfying. But there were several entries. I think there's fifteen or twenty five songs, and I skipped several of them because I never heard of the artist or the song, yeah. and like wasn't prepared for like that particular think piece. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like heavy on the think pieces. You know what else was a good a good piece of. Uh, Good piece of media this week. Um, was it a GQ style story? Yeah, GQ's Eddie Stats' <laughs> own Dapper Dan piece. Yeah, that was a banger. This was a uh, 
uh, a Noah Johnson production in many, yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you have a favorite part. I really like the Alpo passage. Yeah. Where uh, Dapper Dan is, he he thought he might be able to catch GQ style slipping. He was like, the number one guy who influenced everybody was Alberto <laughs> Martinez. You ever heard of him? And stats, cool, calm, and collected. It's just like, yeah, man, Alpo. Yeah. Um. So Alpo Alpo was the was the young guy. This is actually a interesting way to think about the way the fashion waves move. Dan Dapper Dan says. Alpo was copying James Jackson. People would say, man, now who's this young kid being wild around with all your suits on? He was the first one that was fly like that, of the hip-hop generation, the mayor of Harlem and all that. What we call a boy wonder, the person who determines style and who everybody refers to. Yeah. He's basically saying, this kid Alpo, who was a you know notorious 80s cocaine kingpin, Spanish Harlem zone, Alberto Martinez, just like set the tone for what like basically hip-hop fashion would become you know, by virtue of being not a rapper, but a drug dealer. Right. And was just getting all these custom Dapper Dan suits, probably had a fly car. Yeah. And was just in in uptown New York, just like being brash. And all the old heads were like, what is going on yeah. here? Yeah. And instantly, everybody started jacking his moves. And it, it's funny, this is like the influencer bef- way long, long, long yeah. before the time of the influencer. But like, yeah, yeah I mean, like, it doesn't, you know, your favorite rapper isn't always the source. And I think that remains true now and it was true then. And, you know, a lot of people, I don't, I wasn't really that familiar with Alpo until I dove in and, you know, editing the story and stuff. And uh, there, there's, oh, you know, there's always an Alpo somewhere. And we, and we did run a picture of Alpo from, yeah, there's a really good photo from the heyday and the style is yeah. like incredible. I mean, just like really unique, amazing swagger. But at the same time, you're like, you've seen a million dudes dress like that because he was that influential it's just a really great the the q a that that um eddie got with dan is really amazing they really bonded and i think um there's so much amazing stuff in here about the the level of commitment dan had to his brand early on and the production that he was dying leathers in you know in this building in harlem like i didn't necessarily realize how much of the actual production he was taking on in that space yeah um i also like how he he's like back in the day we were completely vertical yeah and, and that was <laughs> right. bad yeah the fumes were like noxious yeah now we're completely horizontal and life is good yeah he's hyped to be working with gucci i mean for obvious reasons but i also think it's like this is an incredible way for him to shine and i can't i mean we've seen dj khaled out there running some of the track suits that uh new stuff that dan's made for him looks pretty fly yeah say. Uh, Callie can really wear it too i, I got you know yeah Callie Callie can wear the dapper dan so like I he's not a harlem dude it's a very different like you know yeah kind of like miami dj gone jet set i'm down but I'm it works it. Yeah. yeah i think it totally works and um you know dan's hasn't been open in the townhouse in harlem for too long he's doing pretty much all vip appointments um, to make these custom pieces, so hopefully we'll see a lot more soon. I, think I haven't so. seen much I think else it's, yet. It's going to be rolling out. Yeah. See if you can get yourself a Dapper Dan appoint- appointment. Go get a go get a custom tracksuit made. Can I read the end of the piece? I mean, it's a bit of a spoiler, but um, yeah, of course, uh, it's pretty incredible. So Dan says the big houses, and he's speaking about the fashion houses, can keep pulling people in, but they have to first become relevant with the have-nots. It's all about the have-nots. People who rise to a certain level, they're less likely to look for an identity. They're comfortable with who they are. They're, they're motivated to validate themselves the way I did. You got to say hell with y'all. This is who I am. And what springs out of that is the fountain of brand new culture. 
everybody is feeding off that. So good. It's Dan's basically saying the youth will always win. Yep. That's right. And I like you know, his this this information, this knowledge from him is coming from decades ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean he feels as hip and lively and with it as anybody right now, but like he's speaking about he's speaking from decades of experience, not yeah. just from five years on like with an Instagram account. Right. <laughs> and and like as you already said, like Alpo was an influencer yeah. but it was just local yeah i mean this is one thing that we talk about a lot about one struggle you know in a lot of ways gq style is a magazine about um wild fascinating global subcultures um and there aren't a lot of subcultures left that aren't internet based yeah and that in a way what we're looking for is subcultures that we can dive into and bring reporting back to the internet. Yeah. Uh, we're not interested in like what's going on on the message boards. <laughs> um, and shout out to Nike talk. Shout out to Nike <laughs> talk. Yeah. Um, but you know, in the pre Instagram era, like every culture was a subculture. Yeah. Like Alpo wasn't influential in Atlanta or the Bay or in Houston. He was influential in Harlem, New York. Yeah. And I'm sure people that were, like, running drugs or who, like, were coming up and visiting Harlem for the summer to visit a parent or whatever were bringing that back to, like, Philly or Maryland or whatever, like, a little of that Harlem swag. But at the same time, this was really localized culture. Yeah, I think that um, a huge thing that we're missing, if I would, like, get on my soapbox for one second and and – seem like an old get off my lawn geezer type but let's like, do it i love the, it the loss of regional style i think has been is a major hit that's a major dent in the culture right there it like, is both in terms of like style in terms of like for hip-hop specifically how people rap what the music sounds like i suppose has been a little bit like homogenized or like yep. balanced but m- even more like so everybody's like, making trap music yeah but more for me it's more like the on the the fashion thing is just like you don't everyone sort of emulates the same style it's true wherever you live whatever the weather is like where you live you know whatever like whatever it is so and of course like the kids in la are doing it different than the kids in new york but at the same time they all they are all like looking at the same stuff online this is i mean this is what's exciting about my hometown atlanta georgia it still has a very unique fashion culture and, and music culture kind of all of its own and that's why it has been the nucleus of hip-hop for so long i mean the rain is very long now yeah like you know it was new york it was la it was new york fighting with la then you know at some point in the late 90s early 2000s things shifted to atlanta and it's basically stayed there that just makes me think like about my own blind spots you know what i mean like i don't spend time in atlanta so i'm not even seeing that yeah so what do you know what do i know not much I mean, I got to no, get no, out there. No, you know a lot. You know a lot. You went to Antwerp. <laughs> Antwerp you know? is you, crazy. You don't have to go to Atlanta when you're going to Antwerp. Antwerp to has- To make GQ style content. Antwerp, speaking of like uh, specific sort of regional style, Antwerp's got it. And it's it's so next level. What is in the water in Antwerp? Because- I don't know. So basically you had the Antwerp 6, yeah. which includes Mar- uh, Margella. And Mulemeester, like all these uh, super high concept European yeah. fashion designers that yeah. kind of like broke the, they were like the latest like avant-garde wave sort of like to break through it and le- led to like Margiela and Helmut Lang. Dries Van Noten was in the original six. Yep. Um, it kind of like 
And then Raf is Belgian, right? Yeah. Not one of the Antwerp Not six. Not one of the six, but he's right there in the mix. Because they were the Antwerp six were all at fashion school. Yeah, at the in, Royal Academy. At the Antwerp, Royal Academy of Antwerp which, at the same time. That's right. Came out together and just made a big old dent. Yeah. And then now, can you can you tell a little bit about why you went you were in Antwerp? So I went um like a couple years ago or a year ago or whatever in Paris, I met this designer, Jan Jan Van Esch. Yep. His name is Jan Jan Van Esch. One more time. Jan Jan Van Esch. This dude has like a Damien Marley level <laughs> head to floor dread. Incredible. Yeah. He's got a dreadlock that is wider than a football that hangs. It's a braided piece. It hangs basically to piece. Achilles tendon. And um, he's a designer. Who's been, he's also from the Royal Academy. He's a generation or two younger than the six. In fact, his parents were, were of their generation and I think mingled with them a bit. Um, his He has a collection called Jan Jan Van Esch that's a super, it's like, Next level hippie, uh, drapey fashion. It's like part Rick Owens, part just like um, hippie hemp. Uh, <laughs> it's just like natural. It's as though it was already there. He just went and like that's right. Found it. He he showed me a pair of pants that are they just have one seam that goes from like one leg opening all the way up through the through the seat all the way back down to the other leg opening. So that's it's right. it's one. It's take a piece of fabric, cut it one time of, in a very specific way, yep. sew that, and yep. there's a pair of like incredible drop crop pants that look like they're you know they've existed since the yeah. dawn of time. It's all like ergonomic. Things are like fit to the body. A yeah. lot of the patterns are cut from one piece of fabric. So he and his partner Pietro own a shop in Antwerp called Solar Shop, Atelier Solar Shop. Now you had kind of found uh, you had heard about Atelier Solar Shop. Yeah, and then uh, found an Instagram feed, which you also hit me to. That's right. And then we were following it on Instagram, and then like, what what made you think there's a whole GQ style feature? I am a friend of the pod, friend of GQ style, Evan Kenori, who's a designer in San Francisco, who's one of the most particular people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> uh, Shout out to partic- par- par- particularity, man, uh, and dude, to Evan Kenori. This dude is particular, and yeah. I know he's listening, and He's got to admit it. Yeah. Uh, he Are has you a kidding? R- we, uh, there's nothing. Uh, Evan Kenori's particularity is one of the greatest things about him. <laughs> it's not a hard thing to admit when it's an, when it's an absolute uh, win. Well, it doesn't. Yeah. I don't want to make him sound like a snob, but he's he's uh, he's got extremely high standards. He, he, he makes a pretty small line of uh, menswear out of his shop in San Francisco. Um, doesn't do high production numbers. Keeps the quality and the, and the, the runs really tight. He's particular in a very humble way. Yep. And um, he doesn't have too many stockists for that reason, but one of his stockists is Solar Shop. Uh-huh. He once told me an incredible story about how he got to know Pietro and Yan Yan and um, a trip he made to Antwerp to, to meet them and to see the shop and to hopefully get them to sell his stuff, which they eventually did. Um, Congrats, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> he made it into the solar shop. That he, is no easy feat. When I talked to him for the story, he he gave me a pretty great quote. He said, with clothing retail, there are rare instances when it rises above the feeling of commerce and can be as powerful as a great museum exhibit or live music. Co-signed. That's his. Completely that's, agree. That's how he feels about solar shop. And this that's, is a real, like, that's a real thing. This is like when we're traveling, you know, whether you're traveling near or far and you're like trying to find a dope inspiring place. Yeah. Like whether you're looking to buy clothes or not, or whether you're looking to buy a cactus or not in the case of Noah, yeah. like we're 
just looking for a retail experience that is exactly what evan said that is going to yeah. give you that that like art feeling yeah and it is it totally relates to this experience of like going to a great art opening or going to a great museum or going to see a band or going to see some jazz or you know whatever the case may be where you're like wow this place is tapped in it's authentic it has a really dialed point of view yeah with something like clear and unique to say yeah and it's not what's it's not about what's on the shelf or how much it costs or where it came from. You yeah, know or mean? how it's much of it you buy or don't buy or how cool you are for knowing about it or how yeah. limited any shit is. So for the spring issue of GQ Style, I went to Antwerp and visited these guys and spent a day <laughs> with them. <laughs> All right, you know we've been doing this series of Temples of Advanced Style. They're right. There's, what if there were supreme like lines outside of like RTH... Atelier Solar this Shop. This is the Julian Casablanca's uh, <laughs> perspective on Yo, retail. man. In, the, in a just world it's where quality is It's not Ed and Supreme. <laughs> it's Ariel Pink and Atelier Solar yeah. Shop and Supreme yeah. and Sid Mashburn. Yeah. I'm just going to go stand outside of those stores until other people start lining up with me. Well, that was the thing I think about the Julian Cast just to, just to tie it all back together. But one thing that struck me about that interviewer that I thought is like, does this logic apply to fashion? Do we... In his mind, or should I see things the same way? That the most popular stuff isn't isn't the quality, and the truth is somehow being obfuscated and and hidden from us because of corporate interests. Well, to take Julian's point at face value, since he is on my mountain face from Mount Rushmore, right. um, I do think that there is something in fashion that is still a little bit where the art is still valued and rewarded I agree. in a way that has been watered down through the years to a, to a greater extent in music. Yeah. And in music it's actually sort of like folded in on itself because if if you take um on on the one hand you have Julian Casablanca's point where like all the dope shit is being ignored and all the whack shit is being celebrated, but then you like pick up the New York Times music um, issue right and you look at it and it's a bunch of people think like breaking their brains they're thinking so hard about pop music <laughs> which has been like you know in music criticism there was this wave where it was like um the the rockest movement where everybody was realizing that that stuff made by like aerial pink types you know like yeah. weirdos with guitars wasn't more valid than stuff made by like right um uh you know, manufactured R&B singers. Yeah. And Kelly that, Clarkson. And yeah, Kelly Clarkson. That the, Exactly, since you've been gone, being the, like, ultimate. Yeah, that was the moment when it was, like, that had huge critical acclaim, right? I mean, Well, there was a moment where all of the, like, hard-thinking rock critics were, like, no, man, since you've been gone is more valid yeah. artistically than Ariel Pink's latest bedroom opus yep. or whatever. Yeah. Um, there was a real shift there. Yeah. And we're still seeing that, basically. Um, where Julian Casablancas is basically taking like a raucous point of view yep. that like what's on the radio is crap and what some artist, uh, art, artful dude made in his bedroom is more legit and the culture is, is awash in corporate money and getting it wrong. And then you have like rock critics in the New York Times magazine. You know, people want to like think really hard about um, what was the, what was like the reggaeton song that featured Justin Bieber? Anyway. Uh whatever but, but I think anyway it, people want to think really hard about pop music so in a way yeah. like um you know fashion hasn't yet gone through all those cycles and fashion wears it on its sleeve too i think you know you you spot the commercial pieces you spot the money makers the w whether it's like a logo hoodie or it's like just yeah. the easy to cop stuff 
and then you spot the artful stuff. And you and like it, scale from they there. They sort of sit together, and everyone kind of understands and appreciate that brands do what they got to do to stay afloat, and hopefully, hopefully, continue to make the beautiful, meaningful stuff while they, you know, crank out do can do some numbers on some other stuff. You know? But yeah, but fashion has charts of its own, and the charts say number one Gucci, number two Balenciaga, yeah. and you can't really make the case that like those two those are corporate crap and you know the real art is being made yeah. over, over here in this corner i'm sure there are people at caring that like that that see that that cringe that are like white knuckled when they see demna's new balenciaga collections right yeah i don't know it's working so they're probably just like they don't know. even care what yeah it they're, like. they're the pnls i just could imagine being like some like c-suite executive and sitting there and watching like some like some model come out wearing six parkas layered up it just like <laughs> looks sort of like a chic home you know no but the thing about the, the thing about those companies is the c-suite executives are fashion people yeah so they're like you know they're, they're stroking it. their beards and, and digging it making their personal orders yeah exactly no, I have a question. We've been like chewing through some magazine media here. Yeah. Um, do you think that we are in a are in a corporate lunch media bubble reading the Julia Casablancas interview and like thinking that everybody's talking about the Tad Friend Donald Glover profile <laughs> and like, you know, um uh quoting Dapper Dan's latest um pronouncements in GQ style? Or do you feel like, you know, magazines are kind of hot right now that's a really good question i think that or both the, it can be you can I choose answer both. C, i know both. i don't want to choose one or the other because i don't want to deny the fact that we're in a bubble we're in a bubble yeah everyone's in a bubble some bubbles overlap bubbles are like venn diagrams yeah. they merge with each other um no you know i don't think we're in a bubble that's just floating on its own entirely but there are some some aspects of it that maybe don't touch other bubbles yeah if that if i can just keep that weird analogy going yep. that being said i think that there's a lot of i think that people are people love content yeah quality content and, and i think and hilarity people are getting really sophisticated in the way they consume it you know like everyone's getting trained a little bit yeah, and plus, just exactly hilarity. I, you know, like that Quincy Jones interview. Like, just to give David Marchese another shout out was just like, people lost their minds, and for good reason. That was a crazy <laughs> interview, and so is the Julian Casablancas one. Maybe to a lesser it extent. It turns out Marlon like, Brando and Richard Pryor <laughs> slept together. Let's like, go. That's important. That is actually important to so the culture. I think that uh, we continue to see quality stuff. Shout out to quality. Um, rise above and uh, and make waves. And people understand media's role in the culture now more than ever because of whatever this presidential administration, all types of reasons have led us to all become more sensitive to media, where it yeah. comes from, how we understand what it, its biases are, all this stuff. Yeah. Which I, there's something pretty, there's something good about that. Yeah, you would have to be pretty confused right now to not realize that we are all occupying our little bubbles based on what. What the choices that we've made right. for our feeds and then the algorithms that are in turn fed back to us as Oof, a result. Those algorithms. Very clear. I haven't yet had any, as far as I know, maybe I'm just naive, but I haven't yet been infiltra infiltrated by any uh, Russian bots. You, but we'll I, see. Yeah, maybe half my followers yet. are Russian you trolls. You just don't know yet. You know, um, one thing I've been thinking about a lot recently is if you, okay, pre-rise of the internet, if you were like um, everybody... You, okay, this internet thing is really taking off, and yeah. soon all of us are going to spend like a large part of our days tapped in to what each other are talking about online. Yeah. Um, 
what do you think the collective humor sense of humor will be like on the internet i would have been like oh just like super lowest common denominator like dumb <laughs> you know like like um like a bad adam like a bad adam sandler movie yeah that's what i would have expected it turns out the internet's collective sense of humor is so weird and yeah. so funny yeah I mean, all you have to do is like try to explain a meme to somebody who yeah. doesn't spend much time on the internet, yeah. and they will look at you like, "I have no idea what you're talking about." <laughs> and meanwhile, like they're missing out on actually the funniest shit ever. Like the internet's collective conscious, like what it is able to do through the collective sense of humor, yeah. is so much funnier than even the most legendary comedians. It's incredibly meta, and it all comes with this like hyper like self of awareness that this is all existing on this platform. Right. So there's kind of like a no rules anonymous like quality to it right. that pushes it into really weird directions that like memes are the perfect example of that and how those kind of like transmutate and become like those things evolve and the original joke and then the joke that we're now working with the absolute oh, unit so many you know layers. what I mean? like, <laughs> absolute the absolute unit, unit was funny <laughs> just the original joke was funny and then now it's just like Th that language gets co-opted and used elsewhere and yeah you could never explain it to anyone but i think that let me i'm, I'm gonna propose something daquan yeah is funnier than any one human has ever been <laughs> daquan is the funniest co comedian of all time this is such a positive outlook that's just what i think yeah i think there's nobody who like because basically daquan is is a portal through which you can connect yeah. to like um, several overlapping Venn diagram bubbles yeah. of like the internet sense of humor. Yeah. And that shit is funnier than any one person has ever been. And I just think what comes with that, I think you're right, but what comes with that is also a sort of a darkness, a dark quality that's darker than any human could ever be. Well, because know? it's also super anonymous. It's, it's, there's this balance where you and get... And somebody says something dark and then somebody else layers something on top yeah. of it and then, man, to the depths of the gutter we go. Here we go. Um... I I once <laughs> we'll get into vibes after this, but let me just tell let me just tell you what not to do. Uh oh. I once found myself uh, attempting to explain big if true. Yeah. To wow. somebody who's not on Twitter. It seems initially like a simple concept. Yeah. Like, like you say it to me, I hear it, and I immediately yeah. fully understand that concept. Big like, if true. Big if true. <laughs> <laughs> like one of my favorite. It's funny you just said that. I don't Twitter think I've memes. ever heard someone say it out loud. Yeah, until, big if true. Until just now is the first time I've. It ever actually heard takes it. a minute for your brain to click into like what is being said, but I tried to explain why big if true is funny. Yeah. And it was like just raining L's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like ended up like just lying on the floor bloodied with just L's just like yeah, battering yeah, me in the face. Yeah. But it is funny. And it, I mean, that's that's one that exactly gets used, can be used in so many. Whatever. I don't need to explain how the Internet works because I'm about to get hit with some L's. Myself, <laughs> Dude, <but laughs> I was just going to let you walk down that path. Let's do some vibes. Uh, 13 vibes. 13 vibes. <laughs> It is the lightning round of things we are feeling right now. Noah Let's Johnson. Let's go. I got a dear vibe. friend, my partner in corporate lunch, vibe us out. Um, it's a soggy day in New York City, and I have, I'm not actually wearing them today because um, I had to get dressed up for an event, but um, I got soggy day footwear that I love. It's the most basic. Wow. Um, this is some basic bitch shit, and I mean my that ears in are, every, My ears have never been more every, perked up. Every possible way. 
Blundstones. Blundstones. Do you yep. own Blundstones? I don't. I need to. Sam's wearing Blundstones right now. Blundstones are the most democratic footwear out there. Everyone wears Blundstones. Like NYU art chicks wear them. Sam Hine wears them. Dads on the subway wear them. Dads in the suburbs wear them. I have friends in LA, Nashville, Austin. I'm just thinking of people I know with Blundstones. Everyone wears them. They, Worldwide. It's a slip-on. It's like elastic sides, leather, rubber sole boot. There's a, there's a tab in the front and the back yeah, for pulling them on. Two pull tabs. Um... I'm not a slip-on boot person, never have been, don't own Chelsea's, never did. Are they sealed? Can you just, like, plop through a puddle on them? You can pretty much stomp through puddles. I think the elastic part, which is a little bit up on the yeah, ankle, is yeah, probably yeah. not fully waterproof, so you'd get right. water in there. And they're not super high, so, like, snow can come in over the top if yeah. if whatever. But if we wanted, you know, if you wanted to be wearing swims, you could wear swims. This is, this is like, a balance. I'm saying. This, this is, is going to come to news as nobody, that Blundstones are the thing. Well, it came as news to me, but, so... That's uh, what we're tr- we're just trying to reach out and touch one person at a time, and it turns out you reached across the corporate lunch table and touched me. See what I'm saying? This is what we do. All right, I'm gonna order some Blundstones. I, they're just they're good, and everybody looks cool in them. And I love how democratic it is. I love getting on the subway, getting on the E train, and looking around and finding five people from five totally different walks of life. Myself being one of them, all wearing the same footwear. What's the MSRP on a pair of Blundstones? Oh, good question. I think they're around 200 bucks. Sam, what do they cost? 120. Sam says they're 120 bucks. Wow. I'm out of touch. Instant cop. Gotta, yeah. Instant cop. Um, I'm going to kind of vibe off your vibe. This is the, this is the moment. I've hit the the, the part of the season. I usually try not to corporate uh, cuss on corporate lunch too yeah. much. But this is like the fuck winter era of yeah. winter dressing. I know. Like, I'm sick of everything I got. <laughs> like, so it's just been... I, we got the ASME Awards today. Yeah. We're going to go clean up some, some magazine-making trophies today, so I, I do have a suit on today. But mostly I've just been wearing baggy corduroys, like beater sneakers, like sweatshirts and long sleeve T-shirts, and like a giant parka. And I'm just like trudging through it joylessly. <laughs> but I do feel awesome in that fit, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm into it. Yeah. So it's but, like its own season. There is like a late winter season that sort of like you settle into. Yeah. Like I, you know, I try to keep it pretty spiffy here at the office. Yeah. But it, recently I was just like unshaven, baggy pants, beater sneakers. Like, man, let's just show me some daylight. Give me just a glimpse of daylight to run to. I start. You know, I start picking up a couple spring pieces this time of year. And then rushing the season a little? I rush it. I like to rush the season. I rush it. I'm a fan. One of the things, next vibe one is a- Wait, we rush, let me say one more thing. We rushed the season last week with the spring cleaning episode of Corporate I Lunch. Know, I know, And it's, you know, it's disgusting out We're there. We're still out here in the sludge. Vibe number three, talk to me, Noah. All right. This vibe is sweaters and polos with zippers. Yeah. It's it's out there. I've seen it on you this as well. This is heavy out there. And speaking of rushing the season, I picked up. Uh, I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, Supreme did a zip sweater that dropped a week or two ago. Every got, time you one. every time you say something like, I don't. I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. I have to stop you here on corporate lunch and be like, I'm getting a little tinge of shame. There's actually no shame there. Okay. I'm just anticipating right. the backlash of. Uh, I just think it's my duty as your non-existent friend to keep, backlash. I'm gonna keep dinging the bell every time I hear a little disclaimer like that. <laughs> so you're feeling? I was wearing this set, this sweater that I got at Supreme. Supreme, but there really is a non-existent backlash. A couple days ago, and um, Kelly McCabe, uh, GQ fashion editor, good friend, uh, walks by and looks at me, and goes, 
did you wait in line for that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I say I'm not too ashamed to admit it. I did not wait in line for it, in case you're wondering. But I you mean, cop nonetheless. I cop nonetheless. No, no, nothing wrong with waiting in line. It's just not for me. Um, Sam has on like this ombre sunset parka. Oh, that's right. Oh my god. Yeah, that's I don't like make it a habit of like looking at the new Supreme collections. Yeah, that. One's so, fun. so I actually had to go see who made it. <laughs> like you didn't spot it and immediately go, oh, you got that new Supreme joint. No, and I just like you, were you like, know, I, like I really value Sam Hine, so I don't instantly think of Supreme when I see what the threads are. Yeah. Um. But man, he really stunned it on me with that Supreme jacket. Sam goes there. He always Supreme does that coat. stuff. He'll like mention something. I'll be like, "Really? You, you're gonna wear that?" And then he just and come, I don't know and he why. just comes through and crushes yeah, just in stunts it. Stunts it. I like hurts my spirit. Do not know why I, I ever doubt. But um, uh, my yeah. vibe, my next vibe is inverted vibe. I'm just I, I can't deal with sneakers with suits anymore. Uh oh, I'm good. Are you wearing a sneaker with your suit today? No, no, no. I just can't deal with it anymore. I can't deal with it. Too much. And this is a blanket. Any exceptions here? Of can course, I? of course. Okay. This is getting dressed. There's always exceptions. Everybody can do whatever they want. I'm just not feeling. Did it. something put you over the edge? Yeah, Did I was. You see I was. Something? I was putting on a suit yesterday. Yeah. Grabbed a pair of sneakers, put it on with the suit, yeah. and just was like, I can never do this again. Yeah. Took them off. Put on some boots. You know, it's a great move when you kind of think you want to do that, but you shouldn't do that. Is just a shoe with a crepe sole. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you totally. do that a lot. But yeah. to me, crepe sole shoes are like sneakers. Not everyone sees that, but like a crepe sole is a rubber sole. Yeah. Sneakers have rubber soles. I mean, I took off the Vans I had on and put on some crepe sole Sid Mashburn from Playboys. And yeah. W- walked out of the door feeling great. Easy swap out. Yeah, no, nothing to it. I love you in those Vans, though. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, All right, here's the next vibe. When someone tells you that they read a book that they like, or they're reading a book that yep. they like, Open up your Amazon app, your Amazon Prime app, because get you an Amazon Prime subscription. Like we can talk going. later about about issues with Amazon and, and where and how to spend your money. But this is a vibe. Go on Amazon Prime and buy it immediately. This is what I do. Someone mentions a book. I take my phone out. I say, uh, no, I'm buying the book now. I'm not checking my emails. I'm listening to you. You have my full attention. I'm buying this book you're telling me about because I'm going to forget, A, that that ever happened. True. I'm going to find myself in a week or two thinking, damn, I need something to read. I ain't got nothing. B. And then the awesome thing that happens is packages start showing up at your doorstep. Oh, and such you're a good like, feeling. Oh, what's this? Oh, I bought that <laughs> book. I did this. I do this a lot. And I'm going to tell you the three last books I bought. I'm just going to read them real quick in case. I haven't even read these. These just arrived in, Let's in go. the last couple of weeks. Me Let's doing go. This. The first one is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. This is a National Book Award winning uh, major novel that, that I heard people that people were raving about on Twitter, so I just hopped on and bought it. Okay. A novel called Asymmetry by Lisa Halliday. This is a new novel um, a friend of mine read and says it's incredible. I think it's about, the, I think this writer had a love affair with Philip Roth a long time ago. Amazing. Tell <laughs> me everything. A, wrote a novel about it. I don't want it. a novel. Give me the memoir. Come on. I know. Uh, it's, I believe it's a fictionalized account of something similar, but people are raving about that novel. And then I read a lot of fictions mostly. And then the last one is, um, for now, A Kind of Miraculous Paradise that's called by Sandra Allen. This is a really dope book. Another I, novel? Um, it, no, it's sort of a memoir that I'm halfway through. She is a, it's by a woman, a young woman who has a schizophrenic uncle. He wrote his memoir he's, and sent it to her. And it's batshit crazy. He was a guy, like a North, Northern California, like psychedelic hippie guy who wrote this, Whoa. this weird story of his life, gave and- it to his niece. She's a writer. She sort of did some editing. So it's, it's his story that she 
published with interspersed with chapters where she fills in some. She did like overlay, and you know when she's doing the overlay, it's not all blended. There's like different fonts. She didn't just edit it. Nope. Damn. It's really fascinating. I'm very interested in schizophrenia. Can I have it when you're done, or do I have to pull up my Amazon? No, I'll pass that. I'll pass that along. Thank you. You can keep the novels. I can't read fiction right now. I don't Mm -hmm. know what's wrong with me. Yeah, it happens. Um, I'm gonna go with. I got a couple vibes here, and we we kind of got to wrap it up. I don't know. Do I go left? Do I go right? Um, Trust your gut, guts, man. Okay, I've said before. I'm really into. Um, I have a care. I have a careful and close relationship with my framer. I actually have two framers. That's I've right. got one here yeah, in the city and one, one up this. in the burbs. Yeah. Um, I've recently working on some, um, just some posters that I bought off eBay. Oh man, you buy the best posters yeah, on eBay. Yeah, I've been I've been working on getting a few of them up in the basement. And this is not like a place where I'm looking to blow a ton of cash. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And in a way, it like kind of ruins the score, the eBay score, to then go spend like you know 150 bucks or something having it framed. Yeah. It's just not appropriate for the. It would be like you I know. I feel you 100. It would be like taking a 10 dollar t-shirt to have like 70 dollars <laughs> worth of tailoring done. It yeah. just doesn't. It doesn't add up. Yeah. So what I did is I drove myself over to AI Friedman, uh-huh. the art store. Quality arts and crafts store. Yeah. Oh. They have a really massive framing department. Massive. Yeah. And of course, not all of these vintage posters, a lot of which are from the 60s and early 70s, are of like standard s- framing sizes. Right. Right. Um, but you can't I can't buy off the shelf necessarily. No, no. But I was determined to to figure this out myself yeah so it turns out at ai friedman they have like everything you need to do the things that it takes to like frame something yourself that isn't a perfect fit in the frame and this is as someone who's extremely anal i'm not going to have like space between the poster and the side yeah of the you frame, wouldn't just like ever. get one that's close enough no 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 no, yeah. not in a million years so i had one poster that fit one of the pre-made frames but it was a half inch too tall uh-huh. so i used their like trimming device wow to shave a half inch of the border off and then frame that up another another piece was too narrow for the frame and it had this beautiful red it was a it's a it's a highly selassie poster that uh-huh. i bought from an ebay vendor in ethiopia uh-huh. had it shipped in it has this beautiful red highly selassie being Ja rastafari obviously yep. it has this beautiful red curtain in the illustration of highly uh-huh. so i bought a red um poster board that matches the curtain and then trim that to the frame, yeah. and then centered the poster in yeah. that. And so it, I basically added a red border to fill in the okay, space. Yeah. And the people at AI Freeman were like super helpful. So super it's sort cool. of like a DIY station, but with assistance as needed. Yeah, you're like, oh, do you have any like red poster board? I was thinking I can match a, yeah. bo- a border to this to the curtain, and they gave it to me. And then you just have to go buy the stuff, and then you can like go into full arts and crafts time from there. I gotta get. I got thirty things to frame. That I'm suffering from the same thing. Where I'm like, I don't want to spend all this money to frame these like little, like a drawing from a friend or a poster yeah. I found, like things yeah. that aren't like don't need to be archival quality. Frame. I mostly spend the money on proper framing, but it's not always appropriate. That's what I'm saying. My vibe is self framing when appropriate. Will you take it home, please, Noah right, Johnson? The last vibe is a super important one, and the homies out there with the tight IT bands are gonna be with me. <laughs> Do you want a foam roller? Dude, you've done this. What? You've done this. You got to edit it out. No, dude, we're leaving this 100%. Sam, you can't edit this out. Sam. Do you need me to take us home? No, I have one more. All right. No, I don't want to do my last one. I, I just got deflated by that. Fuck. How come I've done this like two or three times and you've never done this? Sam, let's just pull the plug on Noah. Let's just end it right there. Later. Peace. I'm out.